The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. This is Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker. I'm in Woodstock, New York, and I'm talking to Tom Astor, of course, my co-host, who is in Oxford in England. And these are the quarantine sessions. We're coming to you from Zoom. So we apologize in advance for the you know, our low production quality, but quite frankly, you know, it's kind of kind of groovy and it kind of makes me feel like I've already had a couple of drinks half the time because I can't quite understand, Tom. It's got a bit of a, a delay, a bit of a slur, and I'm not sure if it's actually the Zoom or, in fact, the drink. The Zoom. It's the Zoom. It's the Zoom. How are you, Tom? I'm very well, thanks. Nice. Yeah, back here in Blighty. You guys, you're snowing and we're at 20 degrees. I'm watering my vegetables. It's weird. I mean, you know, we're not, we're not experiencing spring at the same time, that's for sure. This is a crazy world that we're living in. Totally nuts. And in oh. fact, on that note, a little bit of booze news to get us going. Beer is about to lose its bubbles, by all account, because of what the, the COVID-19 situation and basically ethanol production and gas production. The oil business, as we all know, people aren't driving anywhere, they're not traveling anywhere, no one's flying anywhere. So gasoline, if you, when you go to the pump, you may notice it says quite often, contains 10% ethanol, right? And it, you know, and if you've ever used any sort of farm equipment or gardening equipment, you often have to put in marine oil or whatever to get rid of the ethanol so it doesn't ruin your engine and all the rest of it. Well, that ethanol is produced by an ethanol production companies all around the world. And that ethanol, the byproduct of it is carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide is sold to the breweries that they put into the beer. And because we're not buying gas, that we're not buying ethanol, we're not producing the CO2, we don't have enough CO2 for our beer. So in fact, there is now a situation where our beer might be flat. Oh dear, very nasty. <laughs> Over to you, Tom. Oh dear. Sadly, my booze news is during this pandemic, the quarantine sessions, a third of us apparently are drinking less or <laughs> have given up altogether. But one in five are drinking more. Which one are you? You know, I mean, are you drinking more or are you drinking less? Now, the idea being that when you get back from the office, you used to go to the fridge, open a glass of wine. Well, hey, if you're not going to the office, why not open the fridge and have a glass of wine, you know, a little earlier? I mean, you know, who cares? We're in the middle of a pandemic. World Health Organization is still trying to get countries to limit alcohol. It doesn't seem to be working in the US or England because uh, it's still seen as an essential item, so people, um, you know, can still travel to the shop to buy alcohol. And is it up to the World Health Organization to actually tell us what we should and shouldn't be drinking and how we can drink and can't drink? Are we babies or should we be listening to them? I mean, at what point do you have your kind of liberty taken away and, and are being treated basically like infants you know, by these people? No, here, here. I mean, that is that is the big debate, isn't it? Is at what point is the government overstepping? What is okay and what is not? It is interesting to know that I, I heard from a mutual friend of ours who happens to be in Mexico, that they would shut down a lot of the bars and restaurants from selling any kind of alcohol. You know, in a country like Mexico, where, you know, obviously alcohol is, is very popular and people are drinking their Coronas, no less, on the street corners. And at, at the end of the day, they can't go for their beer. And, but, you know, obviously people are being told to shelter in home and shelter inside and what have you. But they were more worried about people getting into accidents because of alcohol and therefore taking up hospital space. Because apparently there's a lot of people who go into hospitals as a result of um, drinking on weekends and in evenings. So interesting, you can drink in the day apparently, but just not at night. 
Look, what are you drinking, Tom? So I am drinking a black velvet, which is Guinness and champagne, and it's reflective of uh, our guest this evening, whose Christian name is Pamela. My grandmother's name was Pamela, but her my grandmother's surname was Guinness of that same family, so I thought I'd just try and find some tenuous link between the two, and I feel, I feel I may have found it in a black velvet, which is champagne and, and Guinness. I'm drinking, in honour of our guest as well, in fact, I will reveal it when our guest reveals her drink. How about that? All right. So here's our guest. I, am I good? You look fantastic. You look amazing. I like the fact that our next guest is already turning the camera upside down. I'm seeing the back of the, we've got the <laughs> top of the wall. We've got a whole team of people trying to figure out the sound. We're going on and we're going off. I'm almost a little nauseated right now because I feel like I'm on a roller coaster. Our next guest is one of my very, very good friends. She is someone who I adore, someone who I love, someone who my family has got to know extremely well. She is a mother, most importantly, and you will know her from her incredible designs. And I first heard of her on the red carpet, working as a correspondent for Fox, no less, as I was wowed by one of her gowns. And um, I went to one of her fashion shows, and the rest is history, as they say. I'm talking about the designer, Pamela Rowland. Welcome to Shaken and Stirred, Pamela. Hi, Pamela. Hello. And I love, I, you said all these people, my husband was the one who was shaking you you wanted to make sure that you were shaken and stirred first. Clearly, it's de definitely shaken and stirred. You just, I think Tom almost threw up, actually. He's got a, bit of, got a little puce. I'm always this color. <laughs> Hi, Pamela. How you doing? Very well, thanks, back here in England. It's like, I was just saying to Nigel earlier, that spring has sprung here, and I'm watering my, watering my vegetables already because there's no, been no rain for about a month. That's why I am this color, by the way. I'm sunburned. Well, you go very nicely with the flowers behind Pamela. So, <laughs> so what are we drinking, Pamela? I bet you could guess. I can definitely guess. If, in fact, a stupid question. I decided to do this in honor of you. I am drinking a vodka soda with lemon. Cheers, right? Same? Cheers. Same, same. <laughs> so, yeah. Although mine doesn't look nearly as big as yours, which I don't... <laughs> When did you first start drinking this drink? It's, you know, I'm not necessarily a huge soda fan, but you know, I know that you, this is your go-to. And wherever we go, no one has to really ask you. It's always like, here's your drink. Right. Why? When did that happen? Well, literally, I didn't drink. This is crazy, but I didn't drink much when I was younger. And I think once I hit my 40s and I had teenage daughters, I found vodka and I haven't turned back. <laughs> So your teenage daughter drove you to drink or, they, or they, they introduced you to drink? Which one are we talking about? No, they drove me to drink, for sure. She's the one that lives in London, my oldest, Cassandra. Of course, you know her. She was the one that drove me to drink. But I used to drink vodka tonic. But tonic is very sweet and fattening, so I went to soda. And that's why I used to put, do you remember when I used to put a ton of lemon in it? You, yes, it, the taste of that. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. I've gotten used to the taste of vodka. Now it's just one. Let's but now one just lemon. one. You see, I actually like all the lemons. I the lemon is a good thing. It sort of depends on the vodka, of course, but it ultimately, you know, lemon is, has its own astringent value. I thought there was some other story. So why vodka, though? Why was it not some other drink? Why did you, Was it just because of the, cl the cleaning? You mentioned the weight aspect and the not so much sugar. Is that a bit more? Vodka, because... Um, Everyone around me drank it. My husband drank it. His family drank it. And it just, it just kind of stuck. 
I found out that I had problems. I was allergic to wine, which I hated because I love it so much, but it doesn't like me. So whenever I drank wine, I got super ill. And as you know, I drank champagne also. So basically my two drinks I go to is vodka. I have drank a little bourbon. And um, even since uh, Cass has been in London, they drink gin there. So I've had a few gin drinks, but I, I could never drink gin like gin and tonic never drink that mixed with something what kind of so what kind of gin drinks are you drinking gin martinis and things like that no 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 something that has a little more fruity or something in it a little bit of a mix to it well i mean gin itself is pretty fruity it can be very you know floral and and all the rest of it and is obviously you know got a lot going on going on depending on the gins and there's huge world of gins now and you know obviously london as you mentioned is a sort of a home place for gin with london gin which is more of a dry gin, less of a, mostly just a juniper-based one. But I'm a huge gin fan, personally. But I've get, gone into vodka, too, because of the cleanliness of it, because of the sort of the simplicity of vodka. Yeah. It's a bit of a James Bond drink. It's a bit of a, you know, that, that was the one thing that, that Bond loved. Is that partly why your husband is, is into it? Because I know he's kind of into the Bond theme a little bit. It could be. <laughs> Remember, I, would, I can drink um, martinis, but you can, only can have so many of those. Tom, on to you. How many? That's the question. That should be a general question. The question is two or three. I know the, my answer. How many? Two or three? Well, martini. These probably four, I could do four and then I'm done. But there you martini, go, Tom. Four. Not martinis. Martinis are only two. Ah, there we go. Two. Two. Okay. So that is. I don't, that, I don't that. believe it. I say it's four is the truth. There's a true answer there. I, I know, I know, I know Pamela very, very well, and this is someone who, despite her d- diminutive size, is quite capable and uh, very, very well versed and practiced in the art of drinking um, in a way that is is, is great. Because we're such good friends, we party together, and we, you know, we enjoy a, g- a good jo- joke and a drink and and what have you. And one of my, like, as I mentioned, we've had such fun, hilarious times all over the US and certainly in your home state of Michigan that you've introduced me to. And I'll talk about what's going on right now there because, you know, we're in this sort of COVID situation. Everyone's on a bit of a lockdown. You know, we spoke last night actually, and you, you, you had your glasses on and you were playing with your hair, showing me your bangs. I was talking to you about how my hair is growing out. I feel like a hippie, you know, but look at <laughs> you right now. You look amazing. Well, it was a reason to do my hair, you know, and put some makeup on. So how are you coping? What's going on? What's the feeling? What's the general vibe? You know, it's up and down. Some days I'm so bored I could go crazy. Some days we got into a rhythm. And the first, I'm not used to seeing my husband home either. So the first couple of days I, I said to my designer, you might have to design me an orange jumpsuit because you'll be visiting me in prison. But <laughs> we got, you know, he, he works all the time. He's in his office. So doing much better. I have to say, having horrible weather like this does not help at all. But in general, we're doing well. I, everyone's healthy. And I see um, Sydney and Andrew are back from New Zealand, thank goodness. And we see them a little bit. And my son. That's your youngest daughter and her husband. And um, my son, we see a little bit too. But Cass has been trying to get home. And obviously, she can't. No, absolutely. It's very hard. Travel is very hard. And you're someone who travels a lot. Your family travels a lot. You do have, you know, a, a couple of houses in, well, you have a house in the Bahamas and you love the Bahamas and that's a big thing for you. In fact, we were going to come visit you in the Bahamas and that had to be called off. But, yeah. I, but I know, I've heard that your Michigan 
governor has pretty much shut down most of Michigan. It's very hard to do anything, go anywhere. Is alcohol, is, it, is alcohol available? Is that one of the few things you're still allowed to go and buy and do? The thing is so interesting is you can't buy anything for gardens. You, can't, you cannot buy seeds. You can't buy paint. You can't buy outdoor furniture. But you can buy marijuana and alcohol and lottery tickets. It's so all it's, the important things are fine. There, there you go. As long as we've <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Not no one can. We've had protests here, and it's been kind of crazy. But I, I don't get her thought process at all. What's the scene in England, Tom? Scene in England is you can't buy seeds, and you can't buy compost uh, because everybody has already the stocks have run out because everyone's at home doing all their <laughs> gardening. Deliveries we get in England. We get we because it's much smaller distances to cover. Delivery drivers are still on. You can order anything on Amazon. You can order anything. You get anything. If it's available in the warehouse, you can get it delivered. Booze is seen as an essential uh, as an essential item. And you can drive around. You know, you're not supposed to. You're only supposed to go somewhere if you're getting food or, you know. But really, you can get stuff delivered if it's in the warehouses, you know. And the thing is here, it's so hot at the moment. And as I said, in sport, it's like spring has sprung. And so all these people are sitting at home who would normally be working. We're suddenly sitting at home doing DIY. So DIY stores have kind of like there's a there's a two-week delivery thing on on you know bits of DIY cement or whatever. You can't get anything like that just because the warehouse is run out. It's not because you're not allowed to get it, it's just that the stocks aren't there because everybody's at home doing their thing. There's a run on toilet paper and DIY things. I love it. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that tomorrow is Cassandra's birthday and we, we shipped her a few things to London and it was so much quicker now than it was like a couple months ago. I don't know why. It was just so I thought it would be less. I thought it would be slower, but it's getting there very quick. International shipping. No one's going to London except packages, apparently. So right. they're, all, <laughs> they're all traveling in first class. <laughs> It's a good time to be a package. No, I know. It, 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 I tell you, I mean, the, the, all of those package guys, the, the Amazon deliveries, uh, UPS, FedEx, DHL, what a time. How difficult. Uh, you know, they, they, it's like Christmas every day for them because no one's going yeah. anywhere. Everything's being delivered. Even our local alcohol stores are d- doing delivery. So you can order and they'll just t- they'll bring it to you. You don't have to go pick it up. It's one of the few things that Governor Cuomo has, has, has again, deemed as an essential uh, and it's quite funny that around the world that alcohol is deemed an essential in so many places. What an unusual situation um, for, right. for something that, you know, in a country where we had prohibition, that we now have esteemed as one of the few things that is an absolute essential in a crisis. How the times have changed. And, you know, Amazon comes at any time. We've had them come at night. We're like, who is that? Oh, Amazon delivery. <laughs> they, they come all any time of the day. Any time of the day and night. Well, they're not dropping by, um, uh, you know, the, by drone at least, which I think would terrify most people. Bessos, apparently, in the British press, it said last week that since the pan- since this crisis started, his wealth has increased by seven, something else, seven or twelve billion dollars in the last four weeks. I mean, just on the basis that he's the only, part, you know, he's the go-to guy for everything. <laughs> and I don't know what's happening over there, but over here, the Amazon people have got wind of this. The guys who work in the warehouses, and they're all going, yeah, well, you want, well, give us some, you know, we're all getting this bloody disease as well. Um, yeah. Well, they, they actually protested here in New York as well and shut down for a day, which is quite interesting. It was the first time there'd ever been a protest in uh, an Amazon with Amazon workers in the city, in New York. 
So it's happening here too. But I mean, in all fairness, why not? I mean, if one person's going to stand to make a fortune, you know, it's part of the deal. You know, if he's going to put people at risk, you know, I think it, there, perhaps there should be some quid pro quo, or he should perhaps be a little bit more quiet about how much money he's making. One of the things we wear, that we are, interestingly enough, you can't buy in Woodstock in New York, this speaks to where I live, is in fact um, yeast, because people are out baking. So everyone uh, <laughs> likes a good bake, in the, not a wake and bake, of course, but um, make, baking cakes, um, so there's no yeast. You can't buy yeast for love or money. Um, I went to an old pizza joint to see if I could get some from them, and I, we managed to get some, but you have to be pretty crafty these days. Anyway, moving on, Pamela, I, I want to go back to your, you mentioned champagne, and I know that you, you love some champagne, and you've had, I remember one of your 50th birthday party, you had an incredible champagne room, a sort of Vive Clicquot-styled room um, that your husband threw as a, as a sort of surprise party for you. Where, where do your love of champagne come from? And, and talk about the fashion industry, because it's, it's quite prevalent in the fashion industry too, isn't it? People love champagne, the bubbles, the party aspect of it. Is that where it came from for you? Well, I think it first came to me because I, was, I realized I was having problems with wine, not especially red. And so... I actually would drink, that's what I would drink would be champagne because I didn't drink vodka yet. So that was what I would drink. I could tolerate it. Some people say, how can you drink it? They can't, but it's like, as you know, and I have a party a lot of times, that's the first thing we do is have a glass of champagne. It's elegant to drink a glass of champagne. It's, it just starts a party off well. No, totally. It is elegant. It's very elegant. I'm one of those people too. I can only drink about a glass of champagne. After that, it's all over. I'm sort of headaches worthy and, and all the rest of it. So moving swiftly on away from that. But you're right. In the fashion industry, it is. it has that kind of sense of cool and sophisticated and, you know, and a lot of fashion shows of people drinking champagne behind the scenes and, you know, before the show goes on. I remember as a young model, you know, designers and people giving you a glass of champagne just to kind of get the edge off. Is that something that you guys do at your shows or is that not really the scene anymore these days? We used to. We, we used to. I, you know, I think it was Bright Park. I, you don't do it as much now. The place we show now, there's a bar there. My family loves it. They say, don't go anywhere else because we can go get a drink and wait while we're waiting So or afterwards. So Chelsea Pier, you know. That's the secret. You've, That's the secret to getting people to wait. Have a bar right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> always, always works for sure. So, to, so right now, obviously, the fashion industry is tough. You decided to be a fashion designer. You didn't need to be a fashion designer. You know, your, your family has many different businesses that you're involved with. You know, this was something was a really a labor of love, and you've applied yourself. It's a very tough business. Talk to us about it. What, what was the first inspiration for you to get into fashion in the very beginning? I didn't start my business until I was 42. Now we're 18 years old or something like that. It's something I always loved. I worked in the clothing business starting at 14, 15 years old, really young. You could get jobs back then. And this is like 73. Dan drove me to my interview. He just got his 16, just turned 16. He just got his license. But it was something I always loved. But then, you know, you get married, you have kids. We traveled, we lived in Japan. So I wasn't able to do my dream. And I, and, um, I worked in public relations. I have a business background. I have an art history minor. It just is something, was something I always wanted to do. So I just, I jumped in, just jumped in. I didn't know what I was doing. Hemi, you're making so many noises. I love <laughs> That's that. I mean. Not your stomach. I thought it was Tom. <laughs> oh, man. 
It's Hemingway. She needs to be groomed. She looks like a sheepdog. Hi, Hemi. So I, I met someone that started the business with. We we parted ways after about a year and a half. And I think because I, we got picked up by Neiman's right away. And so that was encouraging. I mean, it's not without its ups and downs, for sure. It's, it's a tough business. But I realized how much I really love it. And I love the designing part of it. So, so talk about the inspiration for a collection. So, you know, it's... You're specifically known for really creating red carpet gowns and very beautiful evening wear and couture and what have you. It's a, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of work that goes into those kinds of, of gowns and what have you. And, you know, this, this, these are the sort of classic pieces that people wear to events and parties and, and what have you. And, you know, it, they're sort of celebratory, you know, and there's sort of there's little stories, there's narratives that go along with each one. But what is the inspiration process for you for each collection? Well, as you know, I love art. So often my inspirations surround art, whether it's an interior or an actual painting or an artist. And we travel. We travel around the world. So that's my inspirations are usually around art or travel. And and when, you know, certainly I've seen certain collections of yours that resonate very well with certain markets like, you know, the French market and what have you. Is that something you do? You think about where your the collection is going to go, or do you just do a collection and then hope for the best? Or is it more targeted than that? In the very beginning, definitely, I didn't understand it. You, you know, you tried to get, you know, what your customer wanted. Today, definitely 100%, we think about who is our market. We're now all over the world. So, I mean, we actually have a, a, someone in China that wants to buy now, but we're closed. So... <laughs> Now, they can't get it from us. Um, we had to cancel our fall collection because we couldn't get it produced. So we do think, oh, okay, we, we have to make sure we have this for this market. And a lot of the women in the Middle East, they like very beaded dresses. And so you, you've watched how much my collection has changed over the years, too. We used to do more sportswear as a thing, but we found that we don't do sportswear as well as the Italians and the French. We and you know we're a high price point. You, you just so we stuck to what we do well, and we do dresses well, cocktail gowns. What was it like when you you started to dress to sort of um, celebrities and what have you? Well, who was the first celebrity that really made a difference for your collection? Uh, it was during Sex in the City. Kim, Kim Cattrall was up for an Emmy. That was a very we had a few, but mostly remember her walking out, and um, we had just showed three days before and her, her stylist was there and took, took the dress with her. And we didn't, sh- wasn't, weren't sure if she walk there. She walked out, she was beautiful. And she was up, it was the last year of Sex in the City, I think, close to the last year. And it was, and we had only been in business maybe two years at that point. Now, a lot of designers I know have to pay people to wear their dresses. And that's something a lot of people don't realize. And that's not something that you do. You very much design it, you know, stylists pick your dresses to put on their clients because they like them and they like the color and people request your gowns. But that is not always the case, is it? A lot of designers actually pay a lot of money for people to wear their clothes at these award shows. That's the unfortunate thing. It's become that way. It wasn't that way in the beginning at all. I will make a special dress for someone because not everyone's a sample size. Sure. I mean, there are some, you know, for the Oscars, some of these some of these stylists and actresses, I mean, they're, they're asking for a million dollars. I mean, it's, it's expensive. Wow. Tom, you'd wear a dress for a million dollars, wouldn't you? 
I can't. I'm just trying to remember the last time I wore a dress. I actually can't. Luckily, I can't remember, which is good. Which has got to be a good thing, right? I don't know. I thought <laughs> you were wearing a dress at your daughter's twenty-first um, birthday party. Were you not? That wasn't me. You were kissing, Nigel. Oh God! <laughs> it was some beautiful ginger. Oh, <laughs> well, Tom, you've been to one of Pamela's shows, haven't you? You be, you you came with me. I have. I have. And do you know something? I've got to say, Pamela, without being slightly sycophantic, your dresses were some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And I've never been to a fashion show, and I don't know a lot about fashion, but what was on display was really quite breathtakingly beautiful. I've got to say, and certainly the most interesting thing I saw in what Nigel was sort of, you know, taking me around these things, and, and I'm not sure I had much choice in what I was seeing, but your your dresses are really different that they're out there. I mean, they're some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I swear to God, I would not say that if I didn't really mean it. So, and I really, really do. And I don't know anything about dresses, but it definitely made a made a mark, as it were, on me anyway. And he will most likely be wearing one now. Next time I see you, I want to see you in a full Pamela Rowland frock from head to toe, please. We do have some beaded ones that stretch very nice. Stretch, <laughs> stretch, stretch. I can I ask you something because I don't know how this works. Do you have work with somebody on your designs? What's the collaboration in order to come up with a dress for one of your collections? Well, I, I have a design team, and then I have like a senior designer that I work with. You know, we don't know what's going to happen next, so we're making the collections going to be different than what we normally do because we're not sure about when we're going to show it, but. I do have a design team, but it's usually mostly Andrew and I that really work on it. You're the driving force behind the design, right? Yeah, and the final decision is mine. It strikes me as, you know, you mentioned art a lot, and we, you know, you're on the board of the Whitney, and Whitney being one of the most sort of magical and amazing um, modern art museums in the world. Um, how did that come about? What was, you know, the, your interest in, in modern art specifically? Why modern, not just, you know, what other types of art in general? Well, to start off with, I've, I've been involved with the art museum here in Grand Rapids for since I was like 25 years old. And there, I have a mentor. Her name's Marianne Keeler. She's the one that really got me going in, into, like, I have an art history background. So I wouldn't say I started off loving modern art. It became as I got older is something I learned more about and, and I learned to love more and more. And I think it's because of her, she was way ahead of her time. She's 90 years old now, but she had, I mean, she's the one that brought the Calder to Grand Rapids. And now that is like their symbol. She's really remarkable. Anyway, she was on the, she was involved with the Whitney. She actually called Leonard Lauder up and said, I have somebody for you. You you're going to want her and on your board. So it didn't happen right away. We were on the national committee and then we got to know people and then they just, you belong on this board. And I love it. The people are wonderful. I've learned so much. I've learned so much more about modern art and how much I love it. And people are all political. I mean, everyone's very different, but everyone gets along well. It is really a big, big family. It's really nice. It's not easy to come, come from Michigan where, you know, you, you, you are some big fish in Michigan and you come to a place like New York and there are lots and lots of big fishes in New York. And also New York has a lot of attitude. And, you know, you are very down to earth. You are very much, you know, you, you, you talk about your family first and foremost. You're very much a family woman. And, and New York is a, a, a tough city. How is that? How is the transition? And, and do you leave your Michigander at home and become a New Yorker when you're in New York? Or are you still a Michigander in New York? 
Well, you know, in the beginning, one of the first things somebody said is, you're going to have to get rid of your accent. I'm like, um, how do I do that? I'm from Michigan. I'm going to have a Michigan accent. So I do work on that a little bit. But I think you are who you are. I, I, I didn't go. Some people thought I was going to go there and try to get into like the socialite world of New York. I have no interest in that at all. I'm in New York. I've met so many people that I love, but I, the whole socialite thing, I don't like that, but I don't think I change. You, you know, I, I am who I am. I'm no, absolutely. You're hundred percent who you are. It's just, it's, it's a tough world to to combine. People aren't very forgiving in New York if they don't accept you. But I think, I think a part of it is the fact of your success, the fact that you've stuck it out and that, you know, people realize that you're not going anywhere and, and that you've earned your stripes, so to speak. All of a sudden the respect comes and you, you've seen it with magazines like Women's Wear Daily and what have you, who've been to your shows, who start off by being very critical and acidic and actually end up being quite complimentary in the end because they're like, well, actually, huh, she's still here. So people are buying and people are liking. And you know what? There's not many gown companies anymore. It, it's a tough business. I remember I tried bridal. I got out of that very quick. It's, that's not my thing at all. But you'll see, I think after all this, what's going on right now, Fashion is going to take a big turn. I think we'll lose some designers. And today, as you know, I'm, I'm a rare person that owns my own business. A company my size is usually owned by, sure. you know, a bigger. LVMH, one of the big, one of the big groups. No, for sure. Absolutely. That's um, how they, they make it. You know, small companies have real difficulty. It's, it's really difficult. It's expensive. Indeed. Now you have a love of of the royal family as well, and you've you know dressed various members of. Have you dressed a member of the royal family? I forget it or not. I know that you you're a big fan of, of Diana and what have you. But didn't you, have you dressed any other members of the royal family? I dressed Karen Spencer for um, Harry, Harry and Meghan. Yeah. How was that? We were together at Author. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. You are good friends with them, and you in fact brought over the Diana exhibit to Grand Rapids. Right. And I traveled everywhere, all over the world. And he said he liked how we put it together. He said it was probably did the best. The art Museum has not had an exhibition like that in the, over 100 some years. Of, that was the largest one they had. It did help that William and Kate got engaged. Why we had, and so everybody wanted to see Diana's dress. So people came from all over to the Grand Rapids Art Museum because they wanted to see Princess Diana's dress. Timing is everything, as they say. It was perfect timing. Where do your love for the English royal family come from? What is it about Americans in general have this sort of love affair with the English royalty? Where, why do you think that is? You know, I studied a lot of history and I think with the art history background too, I just, I think I'm a history buff. I will read anything. I think that's when Charles Spencer was so cracked up how much I knew about their kings and all that. He, he goes, there's not even English people that know as much about England as you do. It's something that my, my kids remember this very young. I, I just, and I go to countries, I, I want to learn about the background and the history of the country. And I think it has to do with all the travel we do. And I love Europe. I, lo- I love going there. And it's funny. I did take a lot of history classes with, that had to do with England. And you watch the crown and Victoria and all the rest. Of it. Now, Tom, you're a bit of a, you hang out with a few royals. Not for a while. Not for a while. Not, no longer invited, are they? He kind of no. looks like one. Last time I saw your friend Charles Spencer, I was at the Princess had a Princess Diana Memorial Concert at Wembley by William had invited me. And obviously Charles Spencer was there. And we found ourselves in the gents' laboratory. 
standing next to each other at the urinals and looked at each other, and it was like a sort of doppelganger moment of this sort of rather kind of frightening moment where you like look at your kind of like, oh my God, you know, and he was having exactly the same. And then it turns out he's actually a friend of, a, of someone else I know, and I bumped into him again. Kensington High Street in London, and we had exactly, and even though we had met by this stage, we still were speechless, you know, because we looked at each other and we had this kind of weird similarity. But I'm not, I don't know, I, I should stop speaking, probably. I mean, yeah, poor guy. I don't know. We have to get you together sometime. No, we don't, please. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. He's a very charming man, though. He's a very charming guy. And um, we, the house is extraordinary. But like we used to have, William used to come, and Kate used to come here when they were they're friends of my sisters and on the farm where I live. They used to come in their days when they were courting before they got married, and it was a sort of quiet, nice place to go. And then we had a few really great parties, and we used to have a lot of fun. And then you know, like they've had kids, they've had to kind of grow up a little bit. That happens to all of us. But but then you slide back down. You grow up. You have kids, and then. You become... I haven't done it growing up yet, or anything. I've just been sliding. My entire life has been spent sliding in the wrong direction. I'm convinced. <laughs> well, Nigel knows our story about the final final. Well, that's true. So, that, what, so, so you tell us about the final final. You have a boat called the final final, but what is the final final, first of all? I remember when you first mentioned it, and I'm like, the final final. This is not the final drink. This is the final final. It's basically like saying... It's you've had your final drink. We're gonna have one more, right? That's what it means. Well, Dan, dance you bring your drink over. Hey, Dan, the other half. Hey, Nigel, how are you? Very, very well, thank you. You got Tom here. Did you hear that little section about sliding backwards and never growing up? It suddenly made me think. The last time we were, we partied together in New York property, I was in a bathtub and you were hoovering me. Out. I mean, I think you suffer the same. Are you going backwards as well? Yeah, that was that was a fun time. Have you brought a final final with you, Dan? No, it's That's a first. It's a six o'clock at night. It's a starter. So, what, so tell us the story of the final final. Where does that come from? When we're talking about how we were young, we party, but we actually became bigger partiers as we got older. Um, I told us all started for me with the teen, teenage daughters. Yeah. But at the end of the night, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to have a final drink. And then we go, oh, okay, how about a final final, which we probably shouldn't, when it comes to final finals, you shouldn't have them because sometimes the final final, you don't hit a wall. You kind of go over it. Yeah. So final finals aren't always good. Yeah. But it's supposed to be the end. It's supposed to be done. You named a boat the final final, Dan. You're not going to be done with the boat, are you? I, I had, I, yeah, I had a boat for years. I sold it this year. So that one went, that one went away. But you put, you put it on the final final boat. So, so it really is. A, it really was the final final. Now, what about the booze cruise? Because that's another thing that you guys have coined, which I, which now is something which is a part of my vernacular when I come up, <laughs> you know, north. It's like booze cruise, final final. Um, what, where did that come from? Uh, booze cruise is a class. It's just, it's just normal over here in Michigan. I mean, when you get a boat, you go in the afternoon, early evening, twilight time. You. You go on a little booze cruise, you just putz around, have a cocktail, enjoy the scenery and your friends, and just, and hopefully the weather's where we're not, where it's, it's pleasurable. We were talking with Tom, the weather in England's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible here. Yeah. Awful. So yeah. we're looking forward to some booze cruises. Absolutely. I love the fact that it's a Michigander thing. It's not even just a, a, your own thing. It's, in fact, the entire state of Michigan um, enjoys, <laughs> enjoys the booze cruise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some, so yeah, going out for the sunset and watching that, that's a classic. 
Well, hopefully we're all going to be, you know, back, you know, soon, booze cruising and having a final final. But before we get there, we'd like to do a few little rapid fire questions with you, Pamela, if you wouldn't mind. Yes. All right, here we go. We call these last orders. So very quick, very simple. Favorite karaoke song? Probably Journey songs. Anything 70s, 80s, get you moving. But, you know, I would say lately, Hamilton. I love Hamilton. My God. Wow. Okay, there you go. Warhol or Basquiat? Basquiat. Heels or flats? I know you know this one. Heels, of course. I'm talking to you and I even have heels on talking to you. There you go. I don't even have pants on, so there you go. Um, <laughs> one thing you have to Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hang on. Whoa. That completely took me by surprise. Pants. Trousers. Well, trousers, yes. Uh, yeah, I have my underwear on. Don't worry, Tommy. Well, yeah. It's something quite different over here. Right. You got quite well, excited there for a moment, didn't you? Yeah, Jeremy sitting there naked is too much, honestly. Behave. One thing you have to travel with. My dogs. Duh. My God. These dogs travel in the best, highest of style. They each have their own Louis Vuitton bags. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> Those dogs, unbelievable. Finally, would you describe yourself as shaken or stirred? I think I'm a little bit of shaken and stirred. <laughs> a little bit of both. And there you have it, people. Pamela <laughs> Rowland, fashion designer, great friend of mine. Thank you so much for coming on Shaking and Stirred. What a, what a riot you are. Thanks for inviting me. It's been fun. Stay safe. Bye. Thanks, you too. Bye, Tom. Bye. Cheers. Well, brilliant. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening. That is Shaking and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya. See ya.